episode 61, Reg Turnil on Werner von Braun. Hello and welcome to AstroTalk UK. ATUK is a not-for-profit amateur astronomy podcast produced by me, Gurubir Singh, an amateur astronomer based in the UK. For more information, see the About and FAQ pages at www.astrotalkuk.org. Like so many in the space community, I was saddened to hear of the passing of Reg Turnil on 12th of February 2013. He was the BBC's aerospace correspondent, but is known best for covering the American space program throughout the 1960s and 70s that he went on to document so well in his book Moon Landings, an eyewitness account. He was the only BBC's representative in Moscow at Gagarin's post-flight press conference in 1961 that he recalled during my interview at his home in January 2011 for episode 41. Reg captures the ambiguity of the brilliant Werner von Braun, who he got to know so well that he called him a friend, and yet he believed that he was a war criminal and he should have been hanged. In this 30-minute podcast, the first six minutes is a telephone conversation recorded on the 3rd of November 2011, followed by extracts from his talk at the UK Space Conference on the 5th of July 2011 the Von Braun that I knew. Reg shares three of his audio interviews with Von Braun. The audio quality of the second and third is better than the first. After the war, Werner Von Braun surrendered to the Americans and went on to drive the developments of the Saturn V rockets for NASA. Do you think if it had not been for him, the Americans would have made it to the, to the moon by 1969? I think it's very unlikely, uh, because um, we, after he first came to America, they finally gave him American citizenship after quite a long time. Uh, there was still, especially among the NASA people, there was a lot of resentment and jealousy. Um, uh, the NASA team involved in uh, getting a man to the moon took a great dislike to Von Braun right from the beginning, not only because many of them had been involved in the war and resented his part in it as the enemy, of course, uh, but I think, I think they were jealous of his abilities and they were, they were also suspicious all the time that he was anxious to take them over, which I think he probably was. And do you think that... Um Difficulty in the relationship within NASA slowed down the Saturn V program? Oh, very much. Uh, very much so, because um, the politicians also were anxious to keep Von Braun at bay. Uh, it was only really the military uh, who couldn't, the, the men in the Pentagon who couldn't care less about uh, Von Braun's past. Uh, they wanted his rockets. He was uh, a, a very gifted speaker, and we've seen many, and I've listened to many interviews you've done with him. At the, at the, uh, later on, he was, 
uh, when I first knew Von Braun, his English was quite fractured, uh, mm. and uh, uh, it was not possible to put him on the air for oh several years. I always uh, described him as uh, being like Faust. Mm-hmm. So you conclude that uh, Von Braun was a war criminal? Do you think he cheated the hangman? Many people like me are genuinely enthralled and in awe of the achievements of uh, space travel during the 1960s and 70s. Do we, and perhaps more so the younger generation, too frequently forget the enormous cost of human suffering that this success required? Do you think we just forget that part of the story? Well, Reg, thank you very much for that. I think it's important that many people from your generation do fill in the gaps because without that uh, piece of work, particularly in your chapter one of your book... I was, I was uh, eager to discuss his rockets much more than his past mm. uh, because uh, what I think few people realise uh, is that NASA made 14 uh, space flights, manned space flights, into Earth orbit in order to learn how to live and work and operate in space. And none of those uh, 14 pioneering orbital flights were made with American, with, were made with uh, Von Braun rockets. They were all made with Atlas and Titan. American indigenous rockets uh, and the uh, Atlas and Apollo uh, were just about able uh, to lift the five or six tons required into low Earth orbit to get what the early spacecraft called Mercury and Gemini uh, into orbit. And uh, while they were doing that, Von Braun was developing his huge Saturn rocket. The incredible thing to me is that only five Apollo flights were needed in order to land a man on the moon. Five Saturn, five of his huge Saturn rockets. Few people would realize now uh, that those five enormous rockets were launched within a period of 10 months only. Uh, and they, they went off five flights in 10 months, and the fifth one actually landed in off the moon they were, and enabled them to be brought safely back again. Uh, and I suppose is the achievement we wish to remember about Von Braun. If we had hanged him as he deserved, I'm sure that it would have been a good many years. I would think another 10 years uh, before NASA succeed in getting men to the moon. 
My last interview with uh, uh, Bernard von Braun, 1977, and uh, he would have known at that stage that although he was only 65, he had terminal cancer, and he died later that year. But it was in this interview uh, for BBC Television News, um, 46 years later, that particular recording is now too noisy to play to you. But uh, here is part of what he said in those last uh, uh, months of his life. Historians a thousand years hence will say that with Apollo, we enable man to extend his arena of activity beyond his own planet and to make himself at home wherever he pleases. There are tremendous opportunities, tremendous challenges out there. I just envy the kids who have a chance of going on, going on where we left off. He was probably the most self-possessed an articulate man I ever met. Of course, as you know, English was his second language, but by then, uh, after all those years in America, uh, there was never a you know and almost never a hesitation when I interviewed him. His mind was crystal clear and his thoughts were always in order. Uh, by then, I'd got to know him very well. He was the perfect broadcaster's interviewee. He'd always performed for the BBC and for me. He understood our deadlines and whether we wanted two minutes, four minutes or longer. I began interviewing him 12 years earlier in 1965. The Apollo missions hadn't yet started, but he'd he'd just completed 10 successful firings of the engine for his Saturn V rockets. The two-man Gemini spacecraft had made an eight-day flight equal to a return trip to the moon. He's so confident of the future of his rockets, I reported, he's already looking far beyond the moon. He wants to send three men to Venus and back in ten years' time, a journey that'll take a year. By 1978, he wants to send another three off to have a close look at Mars. Uh, That'll be a two-year mission. So we come, I hope, to the eve of Apollo 11, and I'm interviewing him at the Cape uh, with the countdown in the background. Uh, Confident though he was, as you'll hear, he never forgot the need to keep warning the politicians on Capitol Hill that the Russians would get there first if they didn't keep the dollars coming.
October 1968, and of course, despite his doubts, um, uh, they did make the first landing, as you know, in July 69. Uh, but uh, and by Apollo 16, which I jump to now, uh, he was looking far beyond the moon to the space shuttle and space stations and to the possibility, and this is what's so topical now, uh, of solving the world's energy problems by collecting solar power and beaming it back to Earth. And I thought it was worth playing that part of the uh, interview to you in which he describes that. And yes, such a proposal has to submitted to NASA and we are evaluating it because there is obviously a great deal of interest, the public interest as well as congressional interest, into any promising methods to meet men's rapidly increasing power needs with non-pollutant sources. And of course, uh, the sun, the sun's energy is, uh, they are almost uh, abundant in, uh, in, in limitless quantities. And if you could somehow use on Earth solar energy that we intercept in space, we could really meet uh, future needs uh, quite, uh, quite adequately. It would serve only for all the better world and so on. Now, uh, the, the specific proposal we are studying uh, envisions the establishment of a very large array of solar cells. We're talking about square miles of solar cells in synchronous orbit. And um, so that about 22,000 miles earlier. Yes, where the satellite goes in a period of 24 hours, runs around the Earth, traveling from west to east, and since the Earth spins within the satellite's orbit, such a satellite would appear to sit stationary over one point on Earth. So it would be a continuous, uninterrupted line of sight, day and night, with uh, uh, many points underneath. The idea now is to convert this collected solar energy which the solar cells convert into electricity in microwaves and beam the power down with the help of microwaves and build an antenna array on the ground where this power that was radio down would be uh, put on the uh, on the bus on the uh, uh, on the power lines and Network, electric power, utility power. You mean the sun's energy would be fed down into a sort of invisible pipeline to us, right? In a concentrated beam, it sounds terribly dangerous. But actually, the density, the energy density in this beam, 
but you sure know that you perceive me flying earthly in through that beam. Uh, we are envisioning putting antenna farms on the ground again, but in the order of several uh, square miles. Uh, and uh, the density in these farms will be so low that you could see the greatest cattle in these farms. And yet how much energy could you get out of such an operation? How much power? Conceivably out of one such plant enough to uh, take care, say, of uh, a whole country or several countries. Now what's in the multi-megawatt region? You mean that the whole consumption of, say, the United States could be met by this means? This has been proposed. Now, let me uh, add a word of caution now to the same. So far, this is nothing but a scheme, and we are investigating the feasibility of the scheme, and we have not caught a fundamental and technical uh, uh, reason why it wouldn't be feasible. But the question is really what will it cost? A, to establish such a system, and B, what will it for people to kill one hour and operate such a system? And right now, we are still pretty badly out of tune with uh, electrical waves that people are ready and used to pay. In fact, uh, our present investigations uh, indicate that it will be about 100 times as expensive. However, this is based on today's cost for these solar cells and on today's transportation costs into space. It was uh, an innovation such as our renewable space shuttle, and conceivably it was a manufacture of much cheaper electro uh, solar electric cells. We may knock the price very drastically down. And there's also the other consideration that we might as well get used to the fact that electricity will become more expensive if we are to meet the anti uh, pollution regulation that men will undoubtedly insist upon in the future. So, electric waves, even for pocket burning plants or hydroelectric plants, will go up. How long do you think it would take to uh, build a pilot plant? depends on very much on the funding level. I think we have the technology here today to build a pilot plant if we use existing technology for solar cells and existing means of transportation. When the season is orbit, for example, the Saturn V, you can carry a very substantial load into season's orbit. If you limit the system as a demonstrator to a couple of thousand kilowatts, uh, we could probably handle this uh, Establish of the demonstrator in the next six, eight years. And this, of course, will be a very small uh, demonstrator uh, of the principle that made our moving plant and heavy units. You mean that you could establish one of these pilot plants with just one second pipe launch? If it's small enough, yes. The question is, what do you propose to demonstrate? Uh, how much power do you really want to be down? 
to see a person, a new smaller demonstrator, that could be built uh, to use one of our existing spacecraft to collect solar energy, put a little microwave converter into the thing, and radio energy down. You don't even bother going into a synchronous orbit. You just want to demonstrate that you bring the energy down to the Earth. If you settle for that sort of a demonstration, you could probably do it for a few million dollars and in a few years. Is this project of the tanking deal, Dr. Von Brown, uh, and your original efforts to get a man on the moon? Well, I've always looked upon space flight as a new um, uh, uh, era of uh, human activity in broader terms. Uh, it always, uh, I always felt that it had its uh, exploratory aspects, like visiting the moon or other planets. It also felt just like aviation. It would have to develop its commercial aspects. It must do things for men uh, that, uh, 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 that he can understand uh, so that he would continue to be willing to, 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 to pay the bills. So we need a bread and butter base for space flight. It's uh, in a way similar to aviation. Uh, aviation does a lot of interesting things and exploration and so forth, but at the same time has found its problem burdened by the base of airlines and the air fleet and a lot of other things. And I think that's, uh, that's what spaceflight needs to do. Have you felt the press lately that the Navy public has got bored with uh, moon landings already? I find it a little surprising that um, the public is getting so blase about the whole thing that we all actually call it. Uh, a lot of people in America seem to feel they send the man to the moon and are to show the Soviets that we are still first in technology. And now that we won the war, let's get the boys home. Let's do something else like cleaning up our rivers or so. Well, a thing like a space program cannot be turned on and off like a faucet. And I think it would be a lot better to have a, a moderately financed space program with a stable funding source over a number of years than this hot and cold blowing that we had uh, in recent years. And do you think the space shuttle will provide that? Yes, I hope so. The space shuttle will undoubtedly uh, provide an entirely new foundation for space flight, both manned and unmanned. It will be the cheapest, most economical space transportation system ever devised by men. In terms of dollars, we are paying about a thousand dollars per day to orbit one pound of payload in a low orbit and bring it back. There are five hundred dollars to fly it up one way in the orbit. But the shuttle this cost will go down to about hundred and sixty dollars and ultimately to maybe as low as a hundred or even $15,000. Uh, this, of course, uh, will make space flight attractive for a lot of things, for which is a significant expense today. And being the most economical way of transporting anything into orbit, the shuttle will also do away with the argument that manned space flight better than non-manned space flight. Because if it is the cheapest way to use a manned vehicle to fly even non-manned payloads into orbit, then everybody will use it. It will certainly call out a market for transportation into space. Dr. Von Brown, thank you very much. Well, uh, despite Von Brown's cost warnings, of course, if the US had pressed ahead with solar power collection, uh, it's likely the world would be a very different place today, of course. 
but uh, the US had and still has some of the world's cheapest petrol and didn't need to bother. Uh, if they had bothered, of course, uh, we might have been spared some of these silly windmills that are being <laughs> put up all over the place. And so I come now to the last of my recordings, a much shorter interview at the end of the last moon landing, Apollo 17, beginning with the significance of the orange soil and dust uh, found by the geologist astronaut Harrison Smith. Uh, 
the year, year and a half ago when this question came up, should we fly more Apollos after 17? We could have flown maybe two more. And uh, when I looked at the options available to NASA, spending all that money on two more flights to the moon, deferring Skylab for another year, which in itself would, cost, uh, would have cost a lot of money. And taking all that money out of the development of the reusable space shuttle, uh, I was very much in favor of discontinuing with number 17 myself. Of course, I didn't make the final decision, but uh, I came out uh, in favor of the discontinuation after 17. But do you think this uh, discovery should change the emphasis of what's to be done in the future? Less emphasis on uh, orbital flight and more emphasis on a return to the moon? No, I don't think so. Uh, the shuttle itself is a very versatile vehicle. You can use it for Earth's orbital operations, both for science and for Earth-related applications programs. And you can stick uh, the so-called top vehicle into the payload bay of the shuttle to enable you to fly from the low orbit to which the shuttle can climb onto the moon. Uh, it will be uh, probably a two-stage tug, so that two flights per, per, of shuttles to low Earth orbit will be necessary to go from there to the moon. There may be even a third vehicle involved uh, that looks pretty much like a limb and can make a soft landing on the moon and then fly back to lunar orbit. But, uh, the shuttle itself is the key to everything, and the question whether you go to the moon with it or use it for the for us related programs or for orbital-based science programs is only a question of mission assignments, but no longer one of major hardware commitments. Dr. Von Brown, thank you very much, and congratulations on what must be a big day for you. Thank you. Well, uh, cancellation of that long-forgotten space tug uh, of which Von Braun was speaking uh, was a major NASA disaster. Uh, it could have made the whole system viable, which it's never been. Uh, with it, you see, astronauts could have gone on from the space station to repair and recover, if necessary, geostationary satellites and also, as he said, have gone back to the moon uh, relatively cheaply. So Von Braun, he had ideas and ambitions enough to make any would-be science fiction writer green with envy. He seemed to be a very worthwhile man in those final years, a creative human being. Um, And in those post-war years, uh, he played a major part in creating the world as we know it today. 